Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Peter. Praise the Lord for Jesus and his suffering to take away the sin of the world. Young people can be dismissed at this time for the junior church ministry across the hall in the multipurpose room. The rest of us will go to the book of 1 Peter as we continue to look at the theme of hope. Abounding in hope has been our theme, and I praise God through Jesus we have abundant hope. Our theme verse in 1 Peter has been, verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection from Jesus, dead, uh, Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's a good thing, because without that we are hopeless. Without that we have nothing but suffering in this life. Peter wrote to these people who were, as he was, uh, strangers and pilgrims, and he invited them to have a different perspective on the life that God had given them. And instead of bemoaning the fact that some of them were losing jobs and some of them were being persecuted and some of them were being scattered and having strained family relations, instead of just bemoaning that, have a different perspective and recognize that you're a citizen of heaven. You have a different perspective, a unique purpose. And uh, to, to see yourself as a stranger and a pilgrim here is not all bad. It's a good thing. And my mic is dead. Sorry, guys. We'll have to go with this one. Uh, so uh, I'll stay put here this morning. The, the uh, theme throughout the book is, of course, hope, despite various trials and, and difficulties and so forth. But uh, he also then tells them how to live with purpose and how to make their lives count this earthly pilgrimage count for the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about in 1 Peter the matter of living in submission to the God-ordained authorities and structures. And he continues to boil that down and drive it closer until he is talking about submitting uh, to the God-ordained uh, uh, roles of authority in marriage and then submitting one to another. And as we get to our text this morning, <clears throat> he will be dealing with specifically uh, having hope in suffering. And not just any kind of suffering, but the kind of suffering that uh, you would uh, sometimes not expect. Uh, the suffering that comes when you're doing the right thing. Did you know that sometimes you do the right thing and suffer for it? Sometimes you're following Jesus, you're making sacrifices, it's not easy, and you're being ridiculed for it. Uh, you lose certain things, certain privileges. Your reputation can be slandered and things can be twisted and it can be confusing. And such was the case for the people that Peter was writing to. They were suffering for righteousness' sake and, and Peter wanted to give them some hope in the suffering. And I, and I hope that we will find hope this morning as well. 1 Peter 3, we're going to uh, go back to verse 8, which we've already covered, but I want us to get the context here. So we'll go 1 Peter 3. And verse 8, the Bible says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Now this is not what we want to hear. We want to hear, go get them. Take them out. You know, if they say something to you, you fire it right back. That's what we want to hear. That's what I want to do. But that doesn't get us very far. It does not give us a good life, a full life. And that's the next verse. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew. That means to turn away from, be repulsed by. Eschew, eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And we looked at that word. That word ensue means to follow after with a vengeance, as if you're persecuting something, to just chase it down, ensue it. Chase down peace. Don't let it get away. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. In other words, he's got you covered. He knows what you're doing. His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Sometimes, folks, we have to just take comfort in the fact that God's watching, God is hearing, God knows, and God will set it right. There was a church several years ago 
that uh, allegedly had changed their doctrine that Jesus was not the only way to heaven. And I heard about this, and the word spread, and I was a young evangelist at that time, and this was a very important church, or very influential, very well-known church. And I remember uh, working that into several of my messages as a sermon illustration. You know, there's compromise out there, and people are compromising in various ways, and there's this, this great, well-known church that doesn't believe anymore that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And one day, after I preached that many times, somebody came to me and said, have you ever looked into that? Well, no, you might want to look into it. Well, I heard it from this guy and this guy and that preacher, and it's a well-known fact. You might want to look into it. So I looked into it, and guess what? It wasn't true. It was a rumor, and I found several video interviews with the pastor of that church as he talks about how an embittered uh, individual, staff member, had, had left mad and started this rumor. And put it on a blog, and it went here, and it went there, and it just spread like wildfire. And they tried to put out the fire, and so they were at first dedicating their efforts to trying to contact people and take down that on that site and don't spread. And they finally had a staff meeting, and he said, we can't put this fire out. This is not what God has called us to. God has called us to preach the gospel the way we've been preaching it. We believe Jesus is the only way. And we're just going to do what we've always done. And those who care for the truth, hopefully, will give us a call. And those who just want to start rumors and spread rumors will just keep spreading rumors. But we have to do what we're supposed to do. And thankfully, someone did interview him. And his interview is probably still on the internet somewhere. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I have been part of spreading this rumor inadvertently because it was, it was so well-established and yet, uh, it was false. You know, sometimes things are said and things are done, and it is impossible to take it back. There is a story, you've probably heard it. Uh, a man went to his pastor and said, Pastor, I've been saying terrible, terrible things about you, and, and I, I want to take it back, and I want, I want uh, you to forgive me. The pastor said, come with me to the church uh, bell tower. Thought maybe he's going to push him off, but no, he wasn't. He didn't do that. He brought with him a feather pillow. He told the man, slice it open and scatter the, the contents of that feather pillow in the wind. And he, he did it. And then the, the pastor said, now I want you to go collect every single piece of down. He said, I can't do it. He said, so is it with you. You can't take it back either. You can't take back what was said, but I do forgive you. And you know, folks, sometimes it's frustrating to us. We see people saying this, and people are coming at me, and that's what he, he's, he's, he's talking to these people saying, uh, there's going to be evil coming to you, evil for evil, railing for railing, but don't, don't, uh, don't render evil for evil, don't render railing for railing, but rather bless them, and if you want to have a good life and see good days, you focus on refraining that mouth, following the Lord, and seek peace and hunt it down. Pursue it with a vengeance. And recognize God sees, God hears. God is against them that do evil. This is good counsel. This is counsel that, in a sense, is almost otherworldly. Do you know what I mean by that? It doesn't seem to work with our human default settings. It is counsel from another world. It is. It's counsel from heaven. It's counsel from the Lord Jesus, and it is counsel that will help us today. Well, we've already been through those verses, but I wanted to recap them because they go right into the next couple of verses. Verse 13 continues this theme. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? That's a good question. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now we're going to take a, a moment later, uh, probably after Missions Month, and deal with verse 15 just by itself. But today we're going to catch it in this whole context. 
And, and, and it's a remarkable verse. Verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers. Do you see what is happening here? People are talking about these early Christians speaking evil of them and making them out to be evildoers. But they weren't. They were just following God. They were just following the word of God. He says, you have a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. This is a powerful passage. May the Lord help us as we unpack it a bit this morning. Lord, help us, I pray. Give us clarity, and I pray you'd lead us to that place of freedom that, that uh, Peter, with the help of the Holy Spirit, was trying to help these early believers to find. Lord, help us as we suffer for righteousness to not lose hope but to recognize you have a purpose even in this. Bless, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, I do see these passages here, and it does seem like otherworldly instructions, instructions that couldn't have come from around here. This is not how we think. We think, you're going to come at me, I'm coming at you. But there's a reason for this. As citizens of heaven, who are strangers and pilgrims here, Our interactions in this world need to be that which point people to a different world. Jesus Christ and all that he is, what are we doing, how are we responding that is different and thus provoking questions that point people to the Savior. He's taught us, Peter and, and the Holy Spirit has taught us how to submit on multiple levels, we've been through that, how to submit one to another. But now as we look at this uh, uh, situation, we are learning to submit in an even different way. We're learning to submit not just one to another, but we're learning to submit to suffering and not just suffering, suffering for righteousness. Persecution, oppression. This passage helps us by leading us, I believe, to ask four questions. If you're going through some suffering, if you're suffering wrongly, what can we do? This passage helps us uh, to ask four questions that will help us have a right perspective and thus maintain our hope. The four questions are, what do you have to fear? Who are you trying to protect? How should you answer And where should your focus lie? And we'll look at each of these questions as we come through the text. What do you have to fear? Who are you trying to protect? How should you answer? And where should your focus lie? First of all, what do you have to fear? And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be ye troubled. In other words, he's saying... It's not all bad. It's not as bad as you think. And you don't have to fear these individuals. Truly, no one can harm me if I know Jesus Christ. I say, wait a minute, but the very next verse he says, but if you suffer for righteousness, that sounds like harm. No, 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 this this word harm has the idea of to inflict with injury. Uh, A lasting, deep, severe blow. And that, to a Christian, we don't don't have to worry about, about the devil striking that kind of blow to us where we would be harmed for life. What can he take from me? What can Satan take from me? How can he harm me? Can Satan take my salvation? Can Satan take my forgiveness Can he take my joy? I can give it to him. I can give him my joy. But he cannot take it. Can he take my peace? No. I can give him that too. 
Can Satan harm my prospects and harm my potential? Uh, no, he cannot. I mean, I can give him my potential by just falling apart at the seams and failing to trust the Lord. But Satan cannot touch me. He sure works hard, doesn't it? And he sure works hard to make you and I believe that, oh, it's all over for me. And he's, he's, he's got the upper hand and he's going to ruin me and all of this sort of thing. You're either in God's hand or you're not, friend. And Jesus is either that friend that sticks closer than a brother or he's not. And he's either the strong tower and the refuge that David talked about all the way through the Psalms or he's not. And if we're going to hold on to what Jesus says in his word, we have to believe that this verse is right. Who is he that will harm me? If I'm following that which is good, if I'm on the right path, following the Lord, doing his will, suffering will come, arrows will come, things will hurt, but there will be no harm. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where? Where is your victory? No harm can come to the believer. Do you believe that? You know, when fear comes, it's because of something. Fear doesn't just generally happen out of nothing. And one of the uh, most uh, familiar causes for fear is harm or the possibility of harm. And so he's just saying, look, you, you guys seem afraid, but let me just help you. You're not facing harm. You're safe. Have you ever had somebody settle you down when you're beside yourself and somebody says to you, it's okay, you're safe now. You're safe now. Breathe slower, relax, sit down, sit down, breathe deep. You're safe. Look around. Look around. You're okay. And sometimes you don't, you don't want to believe you're safe. You know, something just happened and you're traumatized and, and whatever. But you say, no, no, no. It's okay. You are okay. It's, you are safe. That's what he's doing to his believers. These early church believers, he's saying, no one can harm you. They cannot touch you as hard as they try. You just keep doing what God's called you to do. You keep following that which is good. And again, I'm not saying that, as I already mentioned, that doesn't mean that no hurt ever comes to the believer. I'm saying no harm. And there is a difference. Suffering. Uh, so, so truly, no one can harm us if, if we're following that which is good. And also, suffering for righteousness' sake is nothing to fear. But if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. What we need to see is sometimes we have the wrong perspective on this. If I'm suffering, rather than saying, it's not fair, I was doing the right thing, I was following that which is good, this shouldn't be happening to me, rather than saying that, recognize that we're in good company if we're suffering for Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer with him. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed means happy, for one thing. What kingdom are you most concerned about? This one says, stay focused on the kingdom of heaven. Don't worry about this kingdom. Don't, don't, don't fight so hard for this kingdom. This is the one that you need to be most concerned about. Acts 5.41 says, They departed from the presence of the council. This is the, the apostles rejoicing that they were, they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know that church I talked to you about at the beginning here who was slandered and misrepresented. They were preaching Jesus was the only way and it's believed by many that they've changed on that point. That's, that's a bummer. That's rough if you're a part of that church and if you're that preacher. Uh, but you know what? Uh, he found a way forward by saying, praise the Lord. They, they, they twisted Jesus' words. They twisted the apostles' words. They called Jesus a friend of sinners. They called Jesus horrible things, and they called his apostles horrible things. And, and he says, we are, hey, we're being counted worthy. Praise the Lord. Are we willing to rejoice rather than fear? I tell you what, I hate fear. 
Fear is terror. Fear keeps you up at night. Fear makes you have, you can't digest your food. Fear ruins relationships. Fear makes you a, a bundle of nerves. Just fear is just not a good way to live your life. We've all been there at one extent or another. Wouldn't it be great if we could take the fear and turn it into happiness and, and rejoicing? Uh, you can. It's called praise, where you begin to praise him based on the word of God and you begin to get a biblical perspective on what's going on. What do you have to fear is the first question. Who will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Don't be intimidated by their terror or fear tactics, and people will do this. People will come at you. This is why so many times in Scripture we are commanded to fear not, because God knows there's going to be plenty coming at us that makes us want to fear. The fear instinct is so quick. We need not fear man. We need to fear God. Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Sounds like David, the psalmist, knew what Peter knew. Well, wouldn't you know, they both had the same Holy Spirit. Who will harm me? What can man do unto me? God is on my side. That'll get you on praising ground. Isaiah 51, 12. I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die? And the son of man which shall, which shall be made as grass. Are you struggling with somebody right now? Is somebody rattling your cage? Is somebody getting to you? He says, who are you to fear him? He's going to die. He's going back to the dirt. And he's going to be, uh, you know, uh, some good looking grass will come from him if he's lucky. Okay. He's just going right back to where he came. You focus on the eternal aspect of this and what I'm doing behind the scenes I want to comfort you. I am he that comforts you. You don't need to be afraid. After all, what can they take away from you? Who will harm you? That's where we started with this. Who will harm you? 1 Corinthians 3.21 Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas of the world or life or death, all things, uh, or, or things present, all things to come, or things to come, all are yours. In other words, you have everything you need. Nobody can take it away. Who can harm you? Fear God, not men. Rejoice at the opportunity to be more closely identified with your Savior when persecution comes. And remember, what do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? They can't take anything away from me that matters. Oh, but my name, my good name... Or, or they're taking away uh, uh, possible opportunities. All of that is in God's hands, not in the hands of a mere man. We trust the Lord. There's nothing to fear, but there is someone to trust. So the first question was, what do you have to fear? The second question from our text is, who are you trying to protect? Who are you trying to protect? This word, sanctify. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. We'll stop there for a moment. When we answer our accusers the way we want to answer them, who are we defending? When we defend ourselves and answer in the way that feels good, I think you know what I mean, who are we protecting? I think, if we're honest, we'd have to say ourselves most of the time. And we might say, no, 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 I'm protecting God. Does God need your protection? Is his name going to be completely stamped out if you don't come, say whatever you want to say? We will spiritualize all kinds of things about our responses but many times, if we're honest, we're just trying to protect ourselves. What does this phrase mean? How does it help us? All right. <clears throat> the meaning of the word sanctify is important here. Sanctify 
does not mean to make him holy, for he's already holy. Because you could say, but sanctify the Lord. Sanctify the Lord? Isn't he already sanctified? Isn't he already holy? I mean, how can I make him any holier than he already is? That's not what it means. It's not saying make him more holy. He's already perfectly so. The, the word we, sanctify we think of in general as uh, the, a meaning to set apart, to set up on high, uh, to set apart in a reverential way, to esteem or regard as holy, and to act in a way toward the thing that we're sanctifying that others would regard him as holy. And I would also say this, that the word sanctify carries with it an idea uh, uh, that, that has, has a public nature to it. When the priests in the Old Testament would sanctify a person or sanctify an item for temple use, this was not done in a corner, this was not done privately, it was done openly, okay? Uh, persons and things were often sanctified in the sight of the congregation. We are publicly setting this person apart to God for service or whatever. The priests' actions were not just reverential of themselves, but they, were encur they encouraged reverence from the onlookers. So when we are talking about sanctifying the Lord, we're talking about setting him apart in a public way that not only are we giving him reverence, but, we would, but what we are doing would encourage the reverence of others. In other words, when the shooting starts, don't drag God down into it, set him up above it. That's what it's talking about. But means what comes next is going to be different. That's what it means. So you're going through suffering. You're suffering for, for, for righteousness sake. This is not feeling good. You want to say something so bad. But set him apart. Don't drag him through the mud. Don't bring him down into the mess. Whatever you do and however you do it and however you answer, you need to lift him up above. You need to sanctify him in a way that is public in the eyes of the onlookers. The significance of this word sanctify, it is important because we need to ask the question again, whose name am I most concerned about? Whose reputation am I most concerned about? Who is being seen right now in this situation? Who am I trying to protect? And whether or not you sanctify the Lord in your response to persecutors, oppressors, slanderers, this is actually of great importance to the Lord. Have you thought about the story of Moses? Moses' example here in Numbers 20 is very helpful to us. God said, speak to the rock. But Moses was frustrated at the people. Have you ever been frustrated at people? They're not doing right. They're not speaking right. They're saying things about me that aren't right. Well, that was right, but this one wasn't right. And yeah, they're twisting things. And there's, uh, you just get so mad and so frustrated. I just want to go for it. And Moses was human just like you and me. And so he did more than he was supposed to. He did more than simply speak to the rock. Numbers 20, verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, and by the way, in my flesh, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. <laughs> if only this was sanctified, but it's not. Okay, this is, this is not, I mean, it, yeah, hear now ye rebels. Man, that's a great way to start a sermon, right? Hear now ye rebels, and we're about to let her fly. Well, if you get the context, this sermon ended Moses' ministry. There was nothing glorious in it. It felt really, really good. But it ended him. Here it is. He gathered them together before the rock and he said unto them, Hear now ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Ooh, that sounds really big and 
egotistical and you got some swagger there. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And he lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice. He was not commanded to smite the rock. He was commanded to speak to the rock. Something like, rock, give the people water in the name of the Lord. Or something, something like that. And then, off it goes. That is not what he did. He said, I have to help you guys again. Smack! Smack! And God in his mercy, isn't God merciful? He let water come out of the rock. Sometimes we don't do it right. In fact, we do it completely wrong. And God will still say, I'm going to, I'm going to work nonetheless. But I saw what you did. And we're going to circle back to that. And I'm going to have to deal with that. The water didn't just come out, folks. The water came out abundantly. And that is, again, a reference to the abundant mercy of God. The congregation drank. Their beasts also. Isn't that good? They even get that in there. Even the beasts. In other words, there was plenty. And the Lord spake to Moses and Aaron, and here it is. Because ye, what? Believed me not. It was a faith issue. It was a faith issue. He didn't believe that God could take care of this. Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Oh, there's that word again. What did we learn about that word? It means lift me up. Is there a public element to this? In the eyes of the children of Israel. I wanted you to set me apart from the mess. The people are carnal. The people are frustrating. We've already buried gazillions of them for those very reasons. I'm very aware of the problem, Moses. But don't bring me down into it. I am not like them. I am not fleshly. Keep me out of the mess. And Moses didn't do that. He answered flesh with the arm of the flesh. And he drug God down. He did not lift him up. He did not set him apart. Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. There are some things I'd like to answer. There's some... There's certainly some flesh I'd like to let loose. I'd like to roll up my sleeve and smite a rock a couple, two, three, four times. And I could. And God in his abundant mercy might still flow some water to feed a few sheep and uh, feed some people and so forth. But it could mean the end of my ministry. In Deuteronomy 32, 51, the Bible says, Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel, you're not going in. I think a lot of times we focus on just one half of the equation. Am I in the right and we'll sometimes go the extra mile to, to just prove that. Now, brother, talk me through here. I'm about to go rip so-and-so's head off. But before I do it, I need to know that I'm in the right. So do I have my facts right? Did I say this? I did. Did we do this? Did he do that? Okay, we're good? Okay. Brother, it's on. I am in the right, and you are going down. Being in the right is only half the equation. The other half is now responding in a way that sanctifies God in the sight of the congregation. And if you don't have both halves, you don't get partial credit for having the first half. Moses didn't get to go in. He was, he was, he, he was done. His ministry at that point changed because he brought God down instead of setting him apart. Responding in the right way that sets God up apart in the eyes of the, the observers is huge. It's of utmost importance to the Lord. And not just publicly, 
But he also says, sanctify him in your hearts. Did you see that little phrase? In other words, it's not just important for us to set him up publicly in the eyes of the people, but we also do need to ask God for victory in our hearts. Because you know how it can be. All right, Lord, I'll do the right thing. I'll close my, eye, close, close my eyes to what's going on, and I'll just grin and bear it, and, uh, but I'm not liking it. No, we actually need to sanctify him in our hearts and get peace in our hearts and to know that God wants to give us genuine victory. That God can give me victory, not just to fake it before you guys. Okay, folks, we're going to do right. <laughs> and I walk off and I can't believe we did that. But no, to say we're going to do right, and I'm actually genuinely happy about it. And I'm free, and I'm walking with the Lord, and we've left the past behind, and we're trusting the Lord, and God is good. And that is real freedom. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Again, we have to ask the question, who are we trying to protect? Are you really trying to protect him? Or are you trying to protect you? What is so important? Who is so important? Why are you so angry? For whom are you so zealous? God, others, or is it yourself? Are you setting God apart? Are you setting him on high, above the mess? Are you dragging him down into it? Are you making God big or are you making him small? Who are we trying to protect? Number three, how should you answer? Be ready with an answer. It says, and be ready with an answer. I'm sorry, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And I've got to move quickly here. All right. So I think it's so good that before we get into the answer, he says, sanctify him. So this answer that we're about to give is an answer that's a sanctified answer. It's an answer that sets God apart. It's not the answer you want to give or need to give. It's not that answer of defense, explanation, self-justification, argument, blah, 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 mudslinging. It's not the answer that always hits the last word, always wins. It's not the answer that puts somebody in their place. It's the answer that comes out of what? You set God up above. In other words, you didn't answer. And check this. He says, I want you just to be ready to answer when they have a question as to why didn't you tell us off? Why didn't you fight? How come you have so much peace? Don't you know what they're saying about you? Why? Why aren't you just in there chafing? I'm mad for you. Why aren't you mad? And you say, thanks for asking. And by God's grace, here's my answer. It's a totally different answer than the answer that we think about at night. It's a totally different answer than the answer that we would love to just spew. I set him apart. It baffled some people's minds. Some individuals come to me, and I'm ready with that answer. The answer that's provoked by your spirit-filled manner. You didn't blow up. You didn't defend. You didn't throw evil for evil, railing for railing. You stayed calm. You stayed focused. You stayed at peace. You never lost your joy. You lifted up God. You made him big when, when everything looked dark. You kept saying, no, God's got this. No, God, God understands. His ears are open to my cry. His eyes are on the righteous. His face is, against the, the, his face is turned against those who do evil. I'm okay. You stayed right where you're supposed to be. And someone comes to you and says, I need answers here. And you say, I'd love to give you one. I'm nothing special. In fact, as the, as the choir sang, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have problems. I have a certainly in my faults, but Jesus saved me. And I'm not just living for this life. It's not all about this life anymore. It's not all about this reputation anymore. It's not all about what I've lost here or what I stand to lose. It's about eternity with Jesus Christ. I've got a different mission, a different purpose. God is on the throne of my life. I've got a relationship with him and he gives me peace. This is the answer. 
It's the answer that says, let me tell you about Jesus. Apart from Jesus, I'd be lost. Apart from Jesus, I'd be headed to hell. Apart from Jesus, I'm a mess. But God saves messes, and he can save you too. You know, folks, that's a different answer than I want to give in my flesh. But this is all about who are we protecting. We're protecting Jesus Christ, his name, his reputation, and we're answering in a way that tells people what they need to hear. Oh, but they slandered me, and they said this and this, and it wasn't true, and I've got to correct that detail. Do you have to? Because I tell you this, I keep going back to Nehemiah and the wall. You guys know I love Nehemiah and the wall, okay? But if you leave the wall, there's no telling what mess you're going to get back into. And there's no telling if you'll ever get back to the wall. I'm just going to leave the wall and talk to Sanballat and Tobiah and correct a couple things. Hold my trowel, I'll be right back. And you got into this, and you got into that, and in this mess, and that mess, and all of a sudden you're correcting every mess in the world, and you forgot there was a wall to build. You forgot what in the world you were here to do. The work suffers. That's why Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down unto you? Our questions <clears throat> lead us to, to ask, are you ready with an answer? But what answer are you ready with? <laughs> Does your conduct bring people to you with questions about the hope that you have? So the questions are, this passage helps us ask questions. Who are you trying? I'm sorry, uh, the first one was, uh, what do you have to fear? No one can harm you. Who are you trying to protect? Is it about you or is it about Jesus? Are you setting him apart or are you bringing him down? It's about how you should answer, not the answer you want to give, but the answer that they need to hear as to your peace, as to Jesus Christ. And finally, where should your focus lie? Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So what should we focus on here? We're suffering. We're being slandered. Things are going on. What should we focus on? Focus on what you can control. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you by your good conversation. None of us are perfect. As I already mentioned, we're sinners saved by grace. But it, it is helpful if you will just... Stop chasing everybody else and just focus on your conscience, your testimony, your lifestyle before the Lord. If your testimony is pure, this verse says the accusations won't stick. Try not to give fuel to the fire by getting into a fight. Don't legitimize their accusations by your fleshly actions. Sometimes people will do that. They don't have much on you. But they know this, if they can bait you into a fight, five minutes they'll have plenty on you. He didn't say that much, but once he got mad, he sure did. And this guy's a scoundrel, because look at what he just did. Don't fall for that. Have a good conscience. Have a good conversation, good lifestyle. If your testimony is power, powerful, the, the, the accusers are put to shame. We have to believe that. If your testimony is right and you suffer for it, it's, it is still much better than suffering for your faults. And by the way, if you have faults, admit them. Sometimes people, when they come at you and slander you, they've got two or three things that are correct about you and 10 or 12 things that aren't. Hey, rather than having to correct every single thing, hey, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I praise God for his mercy every day. I'm going back to work. Focus on your testimony. Uh, focus also on Christ's example. Verse 18 says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Focus, <coughs> focus on his example and your privilege to follow in his steps. He did what? He suffered for sins that weren't his. 
What's God asking of you? Maybe the same thing. Well, that's not just. Keep reading. The just for the unjust. Ooh. He didn't win every argument with Herod, Pilate, and the high priests. Didn't even try to. In fact, when it comes to justice, he laid aside the matter of justice. This culture is consumed with justice. Justice! I will not rest until there is justice! Justice! Folks, there is no justice in this life. And if we got justice, every one of our lives would be destroyed. If justice really landed in your lap, you wouldn't want it. But that's not what we want. That's not what's on the billboards. We want justice to land in that guy's lap and in that guy's lap and in her lap or whatever. This world knows nothing about justice or mercy or atonement, but they sure are miserable. Jesus wasn't so worried about justice. He said, I'll, I'll go for the unjust even though I am just. Do you see it on the screen behind me? The just for the unjust. Why? So that he could bring us to God. He laid aside the matter of justice so that he could bring people to Jesus who were sinners. And that's what we've got to see when someone's coming at you and there's suffering and there's persecution and there's slander and there's half-truths and there's no-truths and there's deception and there's guile. Don't go at them with guile. Don't go at them with the same thing, evil for evil, railing for railing. Follow Jesus' example. Be willing to suffer for sins that aren't yours. Be willing to keep your mouth shut. Be willing to lay aside the matter of justice so that you might bring sinners to God. He was intent upon that. Focus on Jesus' example and follow, by the grace of God, follow his example. And folks, let's count it a privilege to suffer shame for his name in order that he might be sanctified, worshipped, and sinners might be saved. If people want to hear a dirty, ugly story, they, there's all kinds of places they can go on the internet to find it about Christians. There's all sorts of people who have blogs and books about churches like ours, Baptist churches, gospel preaching churches. Well, we're called all kinds of names. We're called cults. We're called... Uh, well, I won't even go there. I mean, we were called all kinds of things online and in books and so forth. All kinds of things have been said and way more will be said. And you can go look at that if you'd like. I wouldn't recommend it unless you just want to take a bath in bitterness and other people's garbage. It's just fun for some people to look at everybody else's sin and pretend for a moment that they have none. You know, we can chase down all of those things and try to prove everybody wrong and so forth, but that will never work. We're chasing feathers all over the churchyard on a windy day. There's a better way, folks. There's a better way. It is the way of Jesus' example. And ask ourselves some tough questions. Who am I, what am I afraid of in all of this? Who am I trying to protect in all of this? Am I sanctifying the Lord? Am I setting him apart? Am I making him big? How should I answer? And where should my focus lie? It is our opportunity and privilege to follow the Lord Jesus. And uh, Peter, with the inspiration of the Spirit of God, directed these early Christians, you're okay. It's going to be okay. You have hope in the middle of this suffering. Let's rejoice. Make God big. Let God be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that we have as believers to follow in your steps. And Lord, sometimes that's, uh, that's tough. Sometimes it is more than we bargained for. But thank you that that is where we get to know you. We get to know more about you than we ever knew. Help us, Lord, to have Christ-like responses. Help us to have a Christ-like spirit. And I pray that we would stay focused on, on what we're supposed to do, not getting distracted, not getting discouraged, not getting uh, uh, weighed down by 
the, the, maybe the accusations and the suffering that we, we endure for righteousness' sake. Help us, Lord. I pray that you'd help anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior. Lord, may they, may they come to you. May today be the day. And I pray that you would lead us to that place of freedom. And Lord, we pray for the accusers. We pray for the people who are so bitter and so spiteful. We pray that you would help them to see their need and to come to Jesus. That's about nice close. I'll ask the piano to play as you take a moment to respond to the Lord. Will you get your eyes off of all of the mess and put your eyes on Jesus? See him as the one who was betrayed, the one who was slandered, the one who suffered every kind of abuse, the one who suffered unjustly for sinners that he might bring sinners to God. And would you let your burdens, your injustices, and all of those things fall at his feet? Would you take a moment? stand to our feet if you are able and let's sing together that chorus being played I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back I have Look over your shoulder. Don't look around. Keep following the Lord Jesus. He is faithful.